Good morning. Good morning. Well, JK, um, thank you for joining us today. You bet. Glad, glad to be here. You know, JK, um, after you graduated from the University of Arkansas, it seems like you went from the most efficient supply chain to less and less efficient supply chains. Uh, you, you started at Sam's Club and Walmart, and then you became CEO of Meyer. CEO of Academy, and now for four years you've been CEO of PetSmart. Uh, why did you go in that path? Yeah, no, it's it's true from a supply chain perspective. I'm less efficient all the time. Like I, I started with <laughs> truckloads to pallets to cases to eaches, and and now some of our stuff hadn't even hatched yet. So we're you know I'm I'm kind of working my way upstream. <laughs> well, and now you're having to move a lot of. Uh, on the one hand, you're moving a lot of pet food, right? Um, but you're also moving things before they hatch. Yeah, no, our, our supply chain is, um, is, is very diverse. Um, you know, we, we look a little bit like uh, a grocery business on the one side uh, and certainly, uh, you know, a, a globally sourced uh, hard goods supply chain on the other, but probably the most uh, intricate is our live supply chain. I mean, it, you know, we are We've never uh, sold dogs or cats. That's all through local shelters, adoptions. And, you know, I'm proud we account for about one in every five adoptions in the U.S. So it's something that uh, we're, we're really good at. But when you think about reptiles, fish, uh, you know, those are supply chains that are not highly developed. And, uh, you know, the reptile world is largely based on the supplier side. So, you know, be careful when you go to FedEx. There may be a box of snakes literally on the truck. But uh, on the fish side, we actually have fish distribution centers. So we've got about 600,000 square feet across the U.S. where we, you know, sort of move over 200 skews of live fish and, you know, have people that are dedicated to that, which means you've got veterinary care and quarantine rooms and all of those sorts of things that the supply chain doesn't just stop at the back door, but there's there's other steps to be able to get them in front of customers. Could you sell tickets to your fish distribution center as an aquarium? No, no, no tickets. It's, <laughs> I, but trust me, I mean, I, I'll do what I can to get people in there to work. Uh, you know, it's, it's a skill that's uh, hard to find, so... Well, when we talk about flexibility in the supply chain, you know, there's there's flexibility and being able to use different modes of distribution, different um, methods of replenishment, um, different um, being able to adapt to different levels of demand. And I know uh, if you look at uh, congratulations on all the demand you generated for PetSmart over the past four years, you've been there. Very impressive. Yeah, no, you know, our, one of the challenges we're dealing with is, you know, we're a 35-year-old company uh, that uh, has sort of, you know, over the last four years has found another wave of growth. So, uh, you know, had a supply chain that was built to really, um, you know, manage a fairly stable volume, and then we've grown over 40% over the last four years. So um, that, you know, that's hard enough on an organization, but I think in this environment, uh, the amount of agility and flexibility that we're trying to sort of find, not only within our own network, but that we're asking for our partners to help us with is, you know, is, you know, creates new problems for us to solve every day, but it's, you know, these are first world problems. It's, we're excited to be able to lean into it. And, you know, last year alone, uh, we chased right at a billion dollars of unplanned 
demand. So you can imagine the stress that puts on everything from your, you know, planning and forecasting side upstream all the way, you know, throughout your supply chain. Well, you know, I've, I've seen some statistics that, uh, I mean, the, the total demand in your industry has grown a lot, but it's supposed to grow a lot more even over the next four years. Yeah, if you look at the pet industry, uh, first of all, it's grown every year for 30 years, recession or not. Um, there's 90 million uh, households that have pets in the U.S. There's only about 30 million that have kids. So you can do the math on on why that growth is there. Um, and I, you know, the projection is, you know, for the next five years, another six to eight percent CAGR. So, you know, that's going to continue to compound. And uh, we expect this to be north of $120 billion industry um, in very short order. Isn't it, you know, I don't know anything about the live supply chain, but I would think it might be challenging to adjust the volume there, is it? For sure. I, you know, that's, you know, your, your, your life cycle times, your gestation periods are, are the same. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it really does sort of give a new definition of perishable. If you get it wrong, um, you're jeopardizing the health and safety of, of pets that are in your care. Uh, even, you know, upstream, there is a live feeder supply. So, you know, certain animals will only eat other live animals. And, you know, when, when you think about trying to do that, our number one volume item is actually crickets, where we'll move, you know, 50 million plus crickets a year because that's what, you know, certain reptiles, you know, desire. So it's, it's definitely... Uh, a little more complex than your average uh, supply chain because it's, you know, uh, sophisticated on the one end where we own it stem to stern and, and you know, may direct import species of fish and then run them through our own distribution facilities all the way through to local, you know, breeder networks that, that may be more mom and pop in nature. Is the live supply chain more like a replenished supply chain or more like an apparel supply chain? Um, I, look, I would say it's, look, it's probably a little more like an apparel supply chain where, where it's more forecast demand driven and, and you have a little more control over it. If you think about the, the pet side of it, if you think about the feeder side of it, it's very much like a replenishment. Uh, supply chain. So, you know, that we, we do have elements of both. And I think that, you know, that is probably the most complex planning and forecasting job in our business for sure. Well, JK, you know, in the audience here, we have a lot of people from the transportation industry, carriers, brokers. We have um, a lot of people that are um, in the technology industry serving the logistics and supply chain market. Uh, we also have co people from uh, consumer packaged goods companies. Right. Um, and some potential, you know, suppliers to PetSmart. What kind of advice could you give them about helping? What could they do to help you be more flexible in your supply chain, more effective? You know, look, I, I think the, the the two words that continue to come to mind are visibility and flexibility. And I think uh, where we have the best success and where we've really been able to respond to the growth and and the challenges uh, of this environment are where, you know, we're open enough to, to sort of lay our concerns and opportunities on the table. And we've got partners that do the same. You know, I, um, you know, it's uh, many, of the pe many people in the room probably know it, but, you know, 
one example recently is is with a number of pet food suppliers. Um, you know, you don't think about the fact that the conflict in the Ukraine may actually have an impact on on dog food, but the reality is, sunflower oil is one of the possible ingredients that may be used in both wet and dry, especially kibble. And you know, Ukraine is one of the largest producers of sunflower oil or sunflowers. Um, so you don't think about that connection and you don't think about the fact that there's two ways to solve that problem. One may be to to sort of look for alternatives for sunflower oil. The other may be as a supplier to keep multiple ingredient decks in your supply chain so that you mm. can manage the changeover because that same product can be made with canola or palm or, you know, other oils. There's no functional benefit. I think, you know, a year ago, we would have never thought to ask that question. You know, today, that may drive a decision for us based on the supplier, or it may drive a decision on how we think about the inbound and outbound logistics of product based on, you know, maybe flexing between two or three different plants. It may impact how we think about a carrier decision. It may think about, it may impact how we think about lead times. I mean, all of those are variables that we'll think through to to try to build the best possible scenario to make sure that we can keep up with that demand. And, you know, it's not enough to have a plan B anymore, but we're into, you know, C, D, E, F, and and so on in some cases because of the nature of the world we're working in. You know, uh, carriers um, and brokers and suppliers all use different levels of technology. Um, uh, do you have any advice for them in terms of what they need to be thinking about from that perspective? No, not, I mean, no advice specifically. If I, if I had all those answers, you know, I'd, I'd probably be dialing in from a boat. Uh, you know, the, the, the truth is, I mean, I, I think visibility is key. Um, and, um, you know, look, we're, as a company, that's probably a place that, you know, candidly, we're catching up a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, you know, I think in our business, um, you know, we've managed to the averages for too long. And I think that's one of the things that I saw as I, as I came into the business, we, we had an average turn that looked like X. Well, the reality is it's two very different extremes, right? We've got a grocery business and then we've got this, you know, sort of globally sourced, um, general merchandise business that that looks really, really different. And so uh, for us, the more we can integrate to get visibility, the better off we're going to be. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're fortunate to have partners who've sort of helped us in that regard. Um, you know, I think uh, the nature of of kind of what's next, you know, one of the one of the asks or one of the suggestions that that I throw out is, um, look, we're we're a great business to think about testing those sorts of things because of the size of what we do and because of the nuances that we have. It's, you know, I love being the size company that we are. Um, you know, we're a $10 billion company, so there's scale there, but it's not the same scale as what I had at Walmart or Sam's Club. And so, you know, it's a little bit safer place to maybe test something and, and you know, figure out if it, if it works and it has the value that uh, you believe it might. Um, you know, that's, that's something that we like to do and, and uh, are finding that there's, you know, there's an opportunity for mutual value if we can do it because, you know, we get a chance to sort of 
play, be, you know, sort of fight beyond our, our weight class a little bit if we're on the leading edge of that. That's probably not something that PetSmart historically has done, but it's certainly a muscle, a set of muscles we're trying to develop. What do you see as the future of your network in terms of uh, e-commerce, distribution network, and, you know, store footprint? So for us, um, look, we're, we're fortunate. Um, I'll, I'll sort of start e-commerce and work back. We, we lean heavily on our store network because we've got stores within five miles of about 57% of North American demand and within 10 miles of about 80% of North American demand for pets. So uh, that plus the nature of, you know, sort of the, the perishability of some of what we sell, um, you know, we really, you know, it's not just because we've got that asset class. It's, it's frankly the best way we can deliver speed and do it at low cost. So, you know, our, our SLA on a same day delivery is um, anywhere from two to six hours. Uh, and we can do it for less money than anyone can uh, work through a centralized fulfillment center. So, uh, you know, from our standpoint, that gives us a lot of flexibility. Uh, it means we're really good at quick. Uh, we're probably not as good at some of the planned. And so that's the hole we're trying to fill in in our network is where are the right places for FCs to do uh, auto ship, subscription, those kinds of businesses where you have really you know, sort of routinized predictable demand that's going to come on regular intervals where you've got the benefit of, of time to, to work through it. I think the rest of our network um, likely evolves from, you know, seven DCs that are really good at managing the average but don't manage the extremes to a network of three to four fast-moving, high-turn DCs where we consolidate all of our, you know, all of our uh, more grocery-like items and then uh, other larger distribution centers with combined FCs so that they can manage all of the direct import slower turn as well as the base of what we do. Well, JK, thank you for coming back to Arkansas to visit with us about this really interesting conversation. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, everybody. Good job. Yeah, thanks.